Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, moms and dads. Welcome back to Sleep Cues. It's Q&A day. Every couple of weeks on Sleep Cues, we are going to be devoting an episode to answering some of our top questions from the week. We get a lot of questions. We get questions through DM on Instagram. We get a lot of emails, questions through Facebook, and we want to be able to share those with you because a lot of times we as parents are struggling with the same sleep challenges, especially at various stages or ages. A lot of parents email us or message us with similar questions. So I want to be able to share those questions with you so I can share the responses because they may be helpful to you, even though you're not the one who asked. You've probably had a similar question in the back of your mind. So every couple of weeks, we're going to devote an episode to answering some of those. So I'll pull together my top questions of the week and give you those answers. This week, let's start with this one. If my one-year-old baby is on a one-nap schedule at daycare, should I do that on the weekends too, or should I do two naps on the weekends at home? There could be a couple of different answers to this one. First of all, let's start off with the fact that I love children to be on a two-nap schedule until they are closer to about 16 to 18 months of age. 12 months is pretty young for a lot of children to go down to one nap because it means they have to be able to handle a lot of awake time to get to that midday nap, and then they have to handle a lot of awake time to get from their nap to bedtime. And often a 12-month-old isn't quite ready for all of that awake time. With that being said, I also understand that a lot of daycares simply can't accommodate two naps for some kids and one nap for other kids, so they put everyone on a one-nap schedule. And I absolutely understand why, logistically, it's way easier. It can just be tough for some little ones, while other little ones transition really easily to that one nap. So I wanted to start there because I do like to point out that if it's possible, it's best to keep your little one on a two-nap schedule a little longer than just a year of age. However, If your child is one year old and has gone down to a one nap schedule, let's talk about the answer to this question and the daycare schedule versus the home schedule. You could do a couple of things. The first thing you could do is keep things status quo at home, keep them the same way they are at daycare. So if your daycare puts your child down for their one nap at noon every day, Monday to Friday, you could do the same thing at home on the weekends. A lot of times that will be most helpful because your baby's body clock will adjust to going down at the same time every day, Monday to Friday, and then it will be tougher for your baby to go down for two naps on the weekends because their body clock just kind of says, nope, this isn't right. This isn't when I go down for a nap anymore. I'm not ready for this. So they may do just fine with one nap on the weekends. So you might want to keep it the same. With that being said, I do really recommend keeping it to a very similar time to what daycare does. If daycare does the nap at noon, don't make your child's nap on Saturday and Sundays at home at 1245. That's a big difference from what daycare is doing and your child might have a tough time with it. Similarly, if daycare is doing nap at 1230, don't you do nap at 1115 at home. Again, your child probably won't respond very well, won't be ready for the nap at that time. The other thing we should mention though is that some children do manage two naps on the weekends 
quite well even when they're only having one nap at daycare. And this is particularly for a child who's only around 11, 12, 13 months, has already gone down to one nap a day at daycare, but is still very much needing two naps a day. And so you can offer them that at home on the weekends. It's not going to work for every child. Again, some children will have a tough time with that because their body clock has gotten used to just one nap, but some children will still go down really easily for two naps on the weekends. So if you're going to do that, you could offer your child a mid-morning nap and then a mid-afternoon nap on the weekends. And this can actually be very helpful for some children to help them catch up on the weekends to a more age-appropriate schedule. I once worked with a little girl who was 12 months of age and she could only have one nap a day at daycare. She was doing okay with the one nap, but as the week wore on, her mornings got earlier and earlier because very often what I see with children who go down to a one nap schedule a little bit early is they start having really early morning wake-ups and those are the result of building up a sleep debt and going to bed overtired. So for this little girl, she'd start off on Monday okay, and her morning wake-up would be around 6.15, 6.30, and by Friday, with five days of only one nap per day and a lot of awake time before bed every night, by Friday, her morning wake-up would be around 5 a.m. So on the weekends, we would give her two naps each day. We would catch her up to a more age-appropriate schedule. She wouldn't have to have so much awake time between her afternoon nap and bedtime. And by Monday morning, we would get her back to around 6, 6 6.15 a.m. for her morning wake-up time. So it really illustrated to us that she did still need two naps. We couldn't do that during the week, but we could catch her up a little bit on the weekends. So that is an option for some children that works well, is keeping the two naps on the weekend. You will have to decide what your individual baby does best with and go with that, but those are the two options that you can consider. Let's move on to the next question from my DM box from the week. Should my two-year-old have a pillow? Should is always a touchy word for us as moms. Should, should, should. What should we do? What we should do is what we feel is best for us and our little ones and what works best for our little ones. Children under two really don't need a pillow and it's not even generally recommended that a child under two have a pillow for proper neck and spinal development. After the age of two, it's something you could consider, but does your child need it? If your child sleeps perfectly fine in their crib or bed without a pillow, doesn't seem uncomfortable, doesn't seem to be asking for one, then is there a need to have a pillow at the age of two? Probably not. Also, most two-year-olds are still in a crib. So again, really not necessary, not something they're used to in a crib to have a pillow. So probably not necessary. As your child gets a little bit older, you may start to notice them wanting to use a pillow. They may start to do things like fold their comfort blankie up into a little ball and put it under their head or take their bunny, their levy, and put it under their head and actually use it as a pillow. If this is happening and your child's a little bit older, well over the age of two, working into the age of three, you are probably seeing those signs then that your child would be more comfortable with a little something under their head. Especially once a child moves to a big kid bed, that is the point where we usually move from no pillow and a sleep sack, which is what we had in a crib, to a light pillow and blankets in a big kid bed. When you are thinking about a pillow for your young child, make sure it is fairly firm and fairly thin. We don't want something that is so big 
and fluffy that it is actually going to cause any harm to your child's neck or spinal development. We want to make sure that it's nice and flat, nice and firm. It's not going to be vastly different for them than what they're used to with no pillow, but it's just going to introduce them to the idea of having something under their head for the night. So those are some things to keep in mind if you're considering introducing a pillow to your child. Next question. What are your thoughts, my thoughts, on nightlights? Babies don't know how to be afraid of the dark. Some parents will express to me that they are concerned that their child is actually afraid of the dark at four months of age, seven months of age. Babies don't know how to be afraid of the dark. It is a learned thing and babies haven't learned it. It's something that toddlers start to learn when they go to daycare or they start watching television or talking to their older siblings and putting those thoughts together in their minds and those fears. So usually a nightlight is not really necessary or even recommended before toddlerhood. Your infant should be fine without a nightlight and I actually recommend total darkness for infant sleep because they do sleep better when there aren't any distractions in the room. No nightlights, no flashing lights, no light creeping in from the window, from the street. So total darkness for infants is fine. Once your child does reach toddlerhood and if at that point they express some kind of fear of the dark, a nightlight isn't a bad idea. What I would do though is invest in just a little dim wall night light rather than a very large lamp or something that is blinking or a projector that's flashing images onto the ceiling or a whole bunch of little stars all over the ceiling that will be very distracting. Just a very simple little dim wall night light will do the job. That way you can express to your child that they don't need to be afraid of the dark because it is not completely dark anymore, but you're not using something that is going to be so bright that it's actually going to distract your toddler or your preschooler from going to sleep. So those are my thoughts on night lights. The next question in my inbox is, I feel like I'm always putting my eight-month-old to bed around 6, 6.30, but my sister and my mom keep telling me it's so early. Is that too early for bedtime for an eight-month-old? It's not. 6, 6.30 is pretty normal, especially around eight months. And why is that? Because around seven to eight months is when children transition from three naps to two naps. When a child is still on three naps a day, around five to seven months, they do generally have a slightly later bedtime. They have less awake time between each nap, but then they have three naps a day and that pushes their bedtime to closer to 7, 8 o'clock for many children that age. As your child gets closer to eight months, they are going to be ready for more awake time and they're going to drop that third nap. But when they drop the third nap, bedtime often does become significantly earlier and when they're first getting used to more awake time and they're first getting used to a two-nap schedule, you may find that their naps aren't super long, and that might mean they need a really early bedtime. If your eight-month-old is just figuring out this whole two-nap schedule and their naps are pretty short and their second nap ends at 3.15 p.m., your child is going to need to be in bed around 6.15 p.m. to avoid him being overtired. An eight-month-old on a two-nap schedule can really only handle about three hours maximum awake time before they go to bed at night if you're looking for them to not be overtired. So again, if a nap ends around 2.45 p.m., well, at this age, you really don't have time for another nap, but we also don't want to be putting your child to bed at 5.45 p.m. or any earlier. I 
wouldn't recommend a bedtime of earlier than 6 p.m. And I would stretch a little bit to get to that if naps end quite early in the day for an eight-month-old. But I would not be afraid to put a child to bed at 6 o'clock to avoid them being overtired. Because overtiredness usually causes difficult bedtimes and or nighttime wake-ups and or early morning wake up. So we want to get your child to bed before they're super overtired. So especially during those transitions, like the transition from three naps to two, don't be afraid of a pretty early bedtime as early as even 6 p.m. Last question I'll cover for today from my inbox for this week, sort of the top five. Number five is, I've heard you say a sound machine should be set at 50 decibels or less. Is that from the machine? Is that from the baby's crib? How do you measure it? I get this question a lot. We're kind of boggled a little bit about sound machines because there's so much information out there about them, about what kind of noise you should use, whether you should even use a sound machine, how you measure the sounds, how many decibels they should be at. So let's go over that a little bit. When it comes to a sound machine, firstly, I like a sound machine for babies. You do not have to use a sound machine for your baby to learn to sleep well. However, it can be really helpful if you have a pet making noise during nap time, if you have an older sibling making noise when you're trying to put the baby to bed, if you're simply trying to clean up the dinner dishes while the baby's trying to fall asleep at 7 p.m. and you don't want to be waking the baby up or keeping him from going to sleep. Sound machine is not a bad idea in those scenarios. If you're going to use a sound machine, I recommend you use a white noise setting or a rain setting or maybe a fan setting, but something that is just constant and steady and doesn't go up and down like ocean waves or jungle sounds or thunderstorms. Something nice and steady and don't use a timer. Turn the timer off if your sound machine has a timer and just let it run consistently through the whole nap and through the whole night so that when there are some big external sounds that might wake your baby up, it muffles those sounds and allows your baby to sleep more easily. So the question was more about the decibels and how loud it should be and how you measure that. Generally, the recommendation is that sound machines should be kept under 50 decibels. How do you measure that? There are actually free decibel reading apps that you can get on your smartphone that will measure decibels for you. I know I've used one called Decibel X, so that's one you could try, but you could just search them and look for a free decibel reading app. The next part of this question and a question I get a lot was, is that from the machine? Do you put your phone beside the sound machine to measure it? Do you put it in the baby's crib to measure it? You put it where your baby would be hearing it from. So if you have a free decibel reading app on your phone, you put your phone where your baby's head would be in the crib and you put the sound machine five or 10 feet away because it is recommended that the sound machine be five or 10 feet from your baby's head so it's not right up next to their ear. And then you measure 50 decibels from where you've placed your phone, which is in the crib where your baby's head would be. And when it's 50 decibels or less, that's pretty good on your white noise setting five or 10 feet away from the crib, that's going to be not so loud that it's gonna harm your baby's hearing in any way, but not so quiet that it's not actually doing its job because we do want it to muffle out those sounds. So those are the top five for the week, the top five questions from my DM box, my inbox. Hopefully there was a question in there that you had on your mind that you got answered. Feel free to jump onto Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and follow us. I give almost daily sleep tips there and I'm always around to answer DMs whenever I can or I'll be throwing them into our podcast Q&A episodes every couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning into Sleep Cues. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.